Hey there, and welcome to the First Step Theology Podcast, where we discuss our glorious God so that we all might love and enjoy Him in a greater way. My name's Joel, and um, I'm here with the wonderful and voluptuous Luke Rasmussen. How are you doing, mate? Very well, my friend. Well, I'm okay, I guess. I have a bit of a bone to pick with you. Uh, I don't know if you've listened to our last episode and I'm expecting hate mail to come flying my way pretty heavily based on my comments. (laughs) Yeah. Where we were discussing uh, who would you prefer to be Pippin or MJ? We're having discussion about, Oh yeah, we should talk about this. I was under the impression that I was going to ask you about this because you obviously are a big fan of basketball. Well, bigger fan than what I am. Mm. And so then we get into the recording of this podcast you have this glint of evilness, original sin in your eye of just wanting to set up a brother <laughs> to, to fail dismally. And I did. Can I just say, what kind of argument is I would prefer to be Scotty Pippen because he is a good-looking guy? What a joke. Yeah, well, yeah, that was your argument. I'm not arguing that that was a joke or not. You're right. <laughs> My bone to pick it is you set me up. So I have a question for I, you, I sir. Go ahead. I want to know, is it wrong for Baker's Delight to call themselves a bakery? Absolutely. I mean, so the reason I brought this up is because it's been griping me all week, grinding grinding the heck out of my gears. I have no gears anymore. They're just, they're just oily cogs. <laughs> spinning wheels. They're just spinning wheels, exactly. So Baker's Delight, right? call themselves a bakery and bless their souls and all that they've done for the good people of Australia in providing bread goods. But to call yourself a bakery, I'm sorry, you have to serve a pie and a donut, in my opinion. You can't just call yourself a bakery. Do you agree with me? I wholeheartedly agree with you on this. And this has been griping me for years. So I'm so glad that somebody speaks up about this. Yeah. Well, I'm, uh, I'm the voice of the people. That's for sure. <laughs> like you think, say, say like, a, you know, the next coronavirus pandemic came to bakeries and bakeries alone. And there was no bakeries in Australia for like two years. And then it ended one day and you like heading to the one bakery that's open, you walk into Baker's Delight and you can't get a donut or a pie you'd you'd be off it you'd be fully off it you can't so this is my message to you again thank you baker's delight but you're not a bakery correct so what are they then a breadery yeah they're a breadery like yeah you can't you can't just name yourself a bakery it it'd be like me calling myself a firefighter because i turned the gas off on the stove sure i put the fire out but it doesn't make me a firefighter the same way baker's delight they they if you need to provide me a donut provide me a donut then you can call yourself a bakery please and thank you yeah Anyway, we've enough faffing about. So uh, we are talking about our great God. And uh, something that we mentioned early on is that we're doing so in a systematic way. Um, And so uh, many people would know what we mean by that. But we just thought we'd give you a little uh, bit of an explainer into um, what we're doing and why we're doing it. You may have heard of this term before called systematic theology. 
um, and had no idea what it means. You may have a very good understanding of what that means, but uh, we just thought we'd keep everyone up to speed on that. And all that simply means when we say um, that we are doing systematic theology is that we're looking at the Bible in a systematic way or we're breaking down the contents of Scripture um, into certain categories. For example, as we're doing at the moment, the um, attributes of God. And we are um, breaking those down to talk about, for example, his unchangeableness or his uh, the knowability of God. And what that means is rather than going to Scripture, uh, to a passage of Scripture and um, saying, what does this tell me about who God is or, you know, a specific topic, it's going to the whole of Scripture and, and saying, what does the Bible tell us about the attributes of God. Or for example, an easy one is like creation. What does the Bible tell us about creation? Rather than what biblical theology would be is going to Genesis 1 and going, all right, what does Genesis 1 tell us? And no doubt you're going to get to the to the answer of creation being a really important aspect of Genesis chapter 1. And so that's really what systematic theology is. We're, we're looking at um, not just things that we've made up, right? We're not looking at categories that we have decided um, are good ideas, but rather we are looking at um, categories, whether it be about God or about us as um, his creation or about the church or whatever it may be, that um, are revealed to us throughout Scripture, throughout the whole counsel of God from Genesis to Revelation. And so that's, that's somewhat different to how um, we would like preach on a Sunday. So like Luke um, and I, when we preach on a Sunday, we preach exegetically, which means we're going through portions of Scripture. And, you know, for example, we're going through the book of John at the moment. And so um, we're going to preach verse by verse and, and um, look at the theology that comes out of that specific passage. And systematic um, theology is sort of, they go hand in hand, biblical and systematic theology. But rather than just looking at one place and space in, in scripture, we're looking at the whole counsel of God. And so um, hopefully that's helpful for you just in understanding what we're doing. I just wanted to ask, if someone wanted to look into systematic theology for themselves, where would you recommend a good place to start? Oh, big one. So um, if you go to your local Christian bookstore, um, shout out to Kurong for us, um, or online, then you'll find systematic theology textbooks. Like there are, um, there are a bunch of um, We have a few that we go off. We like Grudem's um, Systematic Theology. In, in fact, I think a great place to start for our listeners is I would recommend to firstly go to Jen Wilkins' um, series on um, the attributes of God. Um, the first one's called None Like Him and the second one's called In His Image. In His Image. There you go. Um, and another great starting place is um, Everybody's a Theologian by R.C. Sproul. And all of these aren't complete systematic theology textbooks, but they're a really good introduction. Um, and one thing I just want to emphasize in this is um, no theologian, including Luke and I, most certainly are perfect, right? Now, none of us are the authoritative word of God. Um, so, um, for example, I recommended Wayne Grudem's at the start. We don't agree with Wayne Grudem on everything. Um, and, you know, there is discussion around some, some big topics and we need to be humble and um, 
faithful to scripture as best we can. So, um, but yeah, they're just some places that I would start um, for people. Did you have any others that you wanted to recommend? No, I think that's the best place to start there. They, uh, they're just put in a really simple way. Mm. Um, and like as a church, we've got a few guys who are going through that book mm. and they have, that's been the common thing of with, especially with Grudem's are going, it's just simple. And it gives you a good yeah. avenue to then go and look at other people's like, you know, Burkhoff's or whatever. Mm. But yeah, Grudem's Buffings. the man. <laughs> Buffings. Cool. Uh, and so anyway, the, the doctrine that we are talking about today is, uh, is we're still in the attributes of God. And today we're talking about how our God is infinite. And we're talking about that in two ways, how our God is infinite in that he is everywhere and he is all knowing. Now there's two big words for these things. They are omnipresent and omniscient. You've probably heard them before, but um, what omnipresent means is that he is everywhere. And what omniscient means is that he is all knowing. He knows all things. But to show you just how these sort of um, the systematic and biblical theologies tie together, we thought we'd actually go to Psalm 139 for you today. So Luke, why don't you uh, read this beautiful, sweet word of God to us? Yeah, sure. So we're just going to look at the first 12 uh, verses of Psalm 139 in the ESV version. It goes like this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Yea, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my laying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind me and before me and lay your hand upon me such knowledge is too wonderful for me it is high i cannot attain it where shall i go from your spirit or where shall i free from your presence if i ascend to the heaven you are there if i make my bed in sheol you are there if i take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not night to you. The night is bright as the day and darkness as as light with you. Beautiful. A beautiful, beautiful poetic writing of both of them. So the first six verses are obviously talking about God's um, omniscience. And then the, uh, the last six, verse 7 to 12, are talking about his omnipresence. Mm. Um, so let's talk about the omnipresence of God for a second. Sounds good. So if we're going to define that as Joel said earlier, is that the omnipresence of God is that God is everywhere. <clears throat> a lot of the theologians will say that God is transcendent, which means he's like, he's above all He's he's like elsewhere to you and I, but he is also imminent that he is close to us. He is, his, his presence is uh, everywhere. Now, a really important distinction to make in this is that um, there are those who believe that God is everything. And so mm. that, you know, when the earth was formed, God um, became part of it. That is not a Christian doctrine. Um, you know, the trees aren't God. The birds aren't God. You are not God, but mm. God is his presence is everywhere and is his creation reflects him. Yeah. Um, very important distinction and a big one to make. Yeah, the Bible makes it very clear that God and his creation are separate. 
but that creation is dependent upon God. <laughs> so we want to be really clear in that. Like there, God is not in everything it, or, you know, creation isn't God. Um, there is a distinction between God and his creation, but at the very same time, every particle and atom and part of creation is dependent upon God as its creator and its sustainer in all things. Yeah. And so by that, it points to the fact that there is a God. That's why in Romans, uh, Paul says that man is without excuse because mm. uh, all creation points to his character, namely his power. Um, and so mm. we are without excuse because of this glorious world that we're surrounded by points to an even more glorious savior. So what the omni- omnipresence of God is saying is that God is not limited to any space. Um, so it's not like I can shut my door and leave God <laughs> in a room yeah. and, you know, um, and that God is not limited um, to a body, his spirit, which John four um, talks about uh, in detail. Yeah. When Jesus is talking to the woman at the well and he says that God is spirit and therefore true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. Now, I, th- I think this is a really important thing for all of us as believers in terms of how we view God. I remember when I was first looking through this, however many years ago, it, it um, uh, allowed me to really broaden my perspective and my understanding of who God is. So um, God doesn't have a body. You know, often when we talk about God, what do we imagine? You know, if we um, maybe more traditional family or whatever it may be, we might imagine a, an old man in the clouds, right, with a big white beard who looks like Santa Claus but um, doesn't wrap our presents as well. Or I don't know. <laughs> um, or, or, or maybe if we've grown up in church, we think of Jesus, right, the, the Middle Eastern-looking um, caricature of what Jesus supposedly looked like. That's what we imagine. Now, when the Bible talks about um, the Trinity, God, Father, Son, and Spirit, um, we have to be careful to make sure that we don't attribute a body to God. (laughs) Now, Jesus has a body. Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, is a human being, right? He has a human nature and a divine nature. But God, when we talk about um, our triune God, Yahweh, he is not a human being. He does not have a body. In fact, the Bible says that he is spirit, which means he has no physical form. You know, when I think of spirit, my head even goes to like smoke or some wisping, you know, sort of wind or something like that. But even that is a physical form, right? But you think about what a body is. A body, by definition, is a set of limitations. It is a set of limits for us, whether it be our physical capabilities. I can only run so fast or jump so high or whatever it may be. I am located in a space. Um, But God isn't located like you and I are. He's not limited by a body because he is omnipresent. He is everywhere at all times. That changes, well, especially for me, that, that changes how I view God because he is not confined. Maybe that's a good way to put it. He's not restrained. And I, I think uh, it's important to realize that when we are talking about God's omnipresence, and this is a really big idea, and you can almost you know, dive deep into this, and I think I have, 
many a time before with people, you know, while sitting around a meal is that uh, God's omnipresence relates to his, uh, his in- eternality. That when we're talking about eternality, it means that uh, he has no beginning, he has no end. Mm. And so his presence, right, we think spatially when we think God's omnipresent. But when we're talking about his omnipresence, that means he is in all aspects of time. And because time's a created thing by God, so that means that he is uh, before us, just as what David was saying in Psalm 139, Mm. but he's also after us. So he's outside of time viewing it all above, but he's also in the, in it, in amongst it all, which uh, it's a huge idea. And I I don't, you know, I don't think it's worth us going down that, that rabbit hole, but I've got a question for you, Joel. Oh dear. Um, Well, I've got two questions. First one, how does sin come into it? Because you know how, um, sorry, I'm just, (laughs) when we sin and God says that you will surely die. Yep. And that is a cutting off of Adam and, and, and Eve from, sure. from God. Yeah. Uh, it says that we separate him from him. H- how does that work? Mm, well, Knowing that I, God's omnipresent. Of course. Well, I suppose we get, have to remember that sin um, is our rebellion against God. It's calling ourselves God rather than him. And um, ultimately, it causes spiritual separation, spiritual and relational separation from God. It doesn't, it's not to say that um, uh, in the inclusive sense that we are physically separated in, in every way from God or um, locationally, God, because God is everywhere. By definition, we cannot get away from God um, in some sense. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. And I think it's an important definition to make that God does make his presence. He's closer to the Christian than the, un, than the unbeliever. Mm-hmm. There, there is a great sense of that, that there is this closeness of God. Now, that doesn't mean spatially, but that means relationally, Absolutely. that there is this intimacy that we as believers have with God himself. And that's why Jesus ultimately says, it's better that I go. Yeah. You know, how could it mean it's better that he goes when he's talking about his ascension? He's then talking about the greatest ascension gift, which is the Holy Spirit then that now dwells within the Christian, brings life to that Christian, mm. and is the way that we um you know we commune with God himself. So my next question to you is yeah. so if God is everywhere at all times, mm. what do people mean when they say things like, God, we welcome you into this place? Or the common one, we've all been in a prayer meeting when someone has said this, God, there's two or three gathered here. Clearly you are with us. Are you, uh, are you trying to trigger me or um, do you want a legitimate yes. answer? <laughs> sure. Or I already triggered you with the Baker's Delight one, yeah, so true. you're all well right. triggered. Here we go again then. Well, let's break those down. So the, the first one is is pretty common and both of these are common and, hey, you and I have said these before, right? I'm sure. Um, so we're not, Never. Know, we're not harping on, on anybody else apart from ourselves. But it is a common thing that people say, right? Is that, um, God, we welcome you into this place. Now, understanding that God is omnipresent, that he's everywhere, that is essentially void, right? He is in this place. But I suppose we've got to distinguish what that means. What what do we actually mean when we say that or when people say that? In some sense, we're, um, we're recognizing that God uh, can be close, that he draws near to us, as James says. Um, and so we, in some sense, 
are hoping that he would be so as we draw near to him. But that is something that I think is important is we recognize that God um, in Christ, that we in Christ Jesus can come into his presence. And so rather, as the Bible tells us to, we come into his presence with praise and thanksgiving. Therefore, I'm not sure our prayer should be, God, we welcome you in. Because, you know, to someone who may not have a full understanding of what we're talking about, that could sound like we can like conjure up the presence of God, right? Like we're magicians or something like that. And so rather we we would um, want to be humbly recognize that we have been saved by grace and made alive in Christ Jesus. And therefore we can have full confidence and boldness, as Paul says in Ephesians, to come into his presence in Christ Jesus. Does that suffice for the first one, my good sir? Yes, indeed. The second one, you know, this is a trigger for me. So, I'm, but it's so um, you. We've all heard often from the stage or whatever, or from a prayer meeting where two or three are gathered together. Therefore, God is with us. And this is, you know, a reference from Matthew eighteen verse twenty, where Jesus is teaching. Um, and just, I'd like to recognize the context that Jesus is teaching in. What's he talking about? He's talking about church discipline. Go read Matthew 18. He's specifically talking about what to do when someone sins against their brother. And so he's talking about agreement, agreement um, between brothers, agreement within the church. Um, and then uh, he's talking about how there, if, where there is agreement, within the body, then he is with them. Now, can there be an application that, um, that God is present when we're just gathered and where one or two are praying? Okay, sure. But what, what that could also mean to someone who, let's say, has walked into a prayer meeting for the first time or to church for the first time, is they could think that that implies that God isn't with them uh, when they're by themselves, right? Like if God is only with them where two or three are gathered in his name, does that imply that God isn't with me when I'm at home praying by myself? <laughs> yeah, exactly right. It's, that's a dangerous distinction. Yeah, and so we just want to be careful with that. And again, humble and, and I'm not trying to name names or anything. We'll name our own names because we're, we're all making mistakes. But um, when we understand that God is omnipresent, that he is everywhere, yes, we recognize that he draws near and he can be, he can act in different ways in different places. Now we may be jumping into the deep end with our floaties off at the moment, but, um, and that's a scary place to be. But, you know, we see throughout scripture that God does act in different ways in different places. That's pretty clear. But that doesn't negate the fact that he is still everywhere, that he is omnipresent. Deal? Exactly right. Yeah. And um, can I just say, I'm never afraid to jump in the deep end uh, without floaties. Did you know I used to be a swimmer? No. All right. Um, Omniscience. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate you just allowing me to just um, sit there for a second. Omniscience. What are we talking about when we're talking about omniscience, Jolly? When we say that God is omniscient, we're simply saying that God knows all things, that he knows all things and that his knowledge is perfect. Um, and again, this is related to his eternality because God is outside of time, right? Time is a creation. God is uncreated. Excuse me. Um, since God is outside of time, he knows um, the past, the present, and the future. And so he's not waiting to see what happens, right? He's not in the process of discovering like you and I are. 
but instead he knows. He knows the end from the beginning, as the Bible says again and again. Um, and I think that's a beautiful place. That's a beautiful place to sit in, in the revelation and the realization that we don't know all things, most certainly, that our knowledge is imperfect. It is incomplete. There is always more information that we could know and understand, um, whether we're talking about science or theology or mechanics or swimming. And now no one talks about that. Who cares? Um, There's there always more to know, right? And so um, that is a distinction that we make between us and God, whereas he knows all things and therefore um, we rely upon him. Mm. Yeah. And uh, he's not discovering new information. Yeah. You're not going to catch God off guard of that, Absolutely. which is, I think, a good thing to remember for confession of sin. Mm. He's already seen it. Mm. <laughs> he already knows about it, which is, which is a very good thing to know. Um, True. Now, before we get to the practical side of things, although this is slightly practical in it, mm. um, it does have a big um, way that we teach prayer. Yeah. Um, and Jesus does the same thing. He talks about that in Matthew 6 when he's um, we're talking about the Lord's Prayer. Um, mm. Matthew 6, chapters, um, verses 7 and 8, he says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Mm-hmm. And then he goes and he um, lays out the prayer. And, you know, like, look, I've been in prayer meetings before where the same things have been repeated over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this is not obviously a jibe at that in any way, shape or form. But when Jesus just teaches us to pray, we're talking to a father, one, the fact that he describes Jesus, God as a father uh, is a revolutionary thing. Like that's one of the revolutionary things that Jesus did in his teaching was made this God, a loving father to the people who already knows what you need. Mm. It gives you a lot of confidence to go, well, Lord, I'm bringing this for you. You know that I need it, but I get to take part in this by expressing it to you in the same way with my kids. But like they are, I'm obviously not omniscient, although I like for them to believe that I am. And I, all the time I'm telling them because dad knows best, but <laughs> they come to me and they ask me for something. I generally know that that's what they, whether they just want it or whether they need it. And I, you respond accordingly. Well, we're talking about a perfect father who already knows what we need. Mm-hmm. And therefore, um, when he doesn't give it to us or when he does give it to us, we're confident because he already knows what's the best result for us. Absolutely. And what a place that we can trust God from, right? He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, but also he knows us yesterday, today, and tomorrow as well. And so um, we can trust him in that. I love, you know, the Lord's Prayer, um, the version in um, Luke chapter 11. Um, it says that... Um, Jesus was praying at a certain place. And when they finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John first, uh, as John taught his disciples. And so he said to them, and then he explains and uh, teaches them how to pray. And it's really beautiful. Like you have these disciples who um, traveled with Jesus. They ministered with Jesus. They saw Jesus heal people, um, make the blind see, walk on water, feed thousands, cast out demons 
turn water into wine. Like they saw all of it, but there is only one thing in, uh, in scripture that the disciples ask Jesus to teach them how to do. And that's to pray. That should, um, I think, shake all of us to um, come to our knees and recognize that prayer is so important and so evident. And what is prayer predicated upon? It is predicated upon our God who knows all things, who is everywhere and who is all-knowing. What a good thing that is. Hey, we're going to um, jump in just in just a moment, I suppose, as an extension of this discussion around prayer and just ask the question, who cares? Who cares that God is everywhere and that he knows all things? Um, but before we do that, let's take a quick break. Are you unsatisfied with your special fried chicken provider? Do you feel like there's a fried chicken sized hole that none can fill? Well, do we have the answer for you? Introducing God's special fried chicken. Mankind is longing for the bread of life. Well, until then, we have the breaded chicken of life. Each piece of chicken is anointed with seven holy herbs and spices, blessed by a priest and kissed by a saint. A recipe handcrafted by God and delivered by man. And we have a guarantee that if you don't like that chicken, then you're probably not part of the elect. Amen. All right, Luke, so who cares? Who cares that God is all-knowing and that he is everywhere? What does this change uh, for me? What does it change for our listeners and how they live their daily lives as believers and followers of Christ? Yeah, I, I, this I think is a really important one in that it gives us a great confidence Mm. Great confidence in many areas. One, if we just sit on his um, omnipresence for a second, this is a God who is everywhere. So this means that he sees everything and um, is with us in everything. Mm. So even in the practicality of the toughness and the messiness of life, God is there and we can seek him and we mm. can know that he walks with us in that. Um, and, what I also love about that is that if we're talking about the fact that God is in the mess with us, it also, that also just points to the, what Christ did for us on the cross of the fact that he entered into our mess, that yeah. he, he's not one of those people who's just going to stand by and watch the mess of life, but he gets in and he solves the problem of life, which I just, um, again, just points to his, his beauty in that. So I think that, important thing practically to realize that god is with you in the in the mess of of your life he he cares and he um is around Mm. that then also brings in other things if you think about if you let the logic of that god is everywhere so therefore you cannot run from him (laughs) as as is said there you know who can run from him if i go to the depths of the ocean your hand is still guiding me Mm. um you know god is in that for your sin that you think is secret is not secret. Then when you are sinning, you are sinning against God and he is there watching you. Mm. Like I know as, as a, as a, a young, as a young man dealing with sin and, and, and things like lust and stuff like that, knowing that God is there um, and he sees, it's like, well, you're not alone in that. Yeah. 
uh, that is that is quite a, a quite a liberating thing to realize. Yeah, and that's one of the um, you know the things that temptation does to us is it causes us to forget the presence of God. Are you thinking about the times when you've given into X, Y, or Z, or um, you're tempted to um, to lie or cheat or steal or um, give into lust or whatever it may be? Um, the reason that we do that is because we have forgotten that God is with us. We have been um, misguided into believing that he is not with us. And we've forgotten that God is omnipresent, that he sees and knows all things. That he is a great and gracious savior and that he is with us should change how we live each and every day of our lives. Yeah, mm. that's right. And so that when you do sin, that omnipresence, then um, knowing that he's there, he's seen it, and he hasn't struck you down right where you stand, um, gives us the ability to confess that sin. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and be able to repent because you can just repent and turn from that sin right there and then, which repentance just means to turn from it to Christ or, or, you know, to Mm. take your attention off of allowing that um, to grab your attention and to look to God. And because he's omnipresent, it's very easy to do that because we can then mm. pray. Yeah, which leads into um, um, another important aspect of this that we want to be clear about is God is infinite, right? He is omnipresent. He knows all things, but he's also personal. You know, He relates to us as a father. He relates to us as a person. And so we see in scripture, you know, um, earlier I was talking about how God doesn't have a physical form and, you know, you might say, oh, but it said that God walked in the garden or that he saved us by his mighty hand in the Psalms or, you know, whatever it may be. What are they? They're personifications of God. They're, um, they, they are speaking of God in a human way because he relates to us. Um, in a personal way. That doesn't mean that he is not infinite, that he is not um, spirit or um, without body, but it does mean that we can relate to him as so. But it means that we don't relate to him just as a person. So we personally relate to an infinite and transcendent God. (laughs) I'm going to say that again. We, We personally relate to a God who is infinite and transcendent. And that is a beautiful privilege of the gospel that now as we've been saved and redeemed and reconciled um, by Jesus, that our spiritual and relational separation has been um, reconciled. Now we get to be in relationship with our infinite and personal God. How does that then relate to your prayer life, do you think, Joel? Oh, well, so because God... Um, relates to us personally means that we can pray. First of all, we can worship, we can enjoy God. It's not that um, God is infinite and far off, but it's that he is infinite and near that he is infinite and personal. And so we pray to him as we, as we would pray to our father and we do so through Christ Jesus by the Holy spirit. Yeah. And I also think and this has probably been a bent of mine for a while is, is remembering that God is this holy, infinite God. The way we should pray to him should be one of respect. Boom. I remember when I was a, a teenager, there was this song going around, Jesus, you are my best friend. <laughs> um, Go, and I don't have a problem with it. Like, you know, it's great. God is intimate. He's, he's a good mate of yours. Sounds like you got a problem uh, But with he's it. not a good mate of yours. Hey? Sounds like you got a problem with it. 
<laughs> I have a problem with the fact of, of making, putting God into so God is anthropomorphic in the way he reveals himself as in like he reveals himself to us so that we as humans can relate to him. But sure. the problem is, is sometimes I think we take liberties with it and go, yes, I'm going to talk to him like I talk to my best mate. And, um, and I'm going to give him the respect that I give to my best mate, but we've got to remember that he's the supreme being of the universe. Yeah. Now you can still relate to God and be like, God, uh, like th- this morning I went for a bit of a walk in, in nature as I generally love to do and spend time with the Lord. And I'm just like talking to him like, God, I, that's beautiful. Like this kookaburra just comes and lands and is, is singing away or cackling away or whatever it does. And I'm, I'm like talking to God as if I am walking with him in that garden of God. That's, mm. that's beautiful. And that's amazing. But when I'm coming to God with my issues, I'm not going, well, you do this, you, you, you know, like I, there is, there is a level of respect that is required because he is um, the God of the universe. Absolutely. You think? Yeah. yeah. We don't pray to our chum. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. Yeah. But we pray to our, well, as Jesus teaches us to pray, we go back to that. Our father in heaven. So yes, he is our father. He is personal. He is relational. He is, uh, he is our father, but he is in heaven. He is unlike us. He is transcendent. He is infinite. Um, we have those two ideas colliding and we have to hold them together. We can't separate them. Mm, transcendent mm. yet imminent. Absolutely. So, um, we talked a fair bit about prayer and, and mm. the value of, of that and uh, everything earlier before our great sponsor. Um, the omniscience uh, of God, his, um, his, mm. his all knowing. Yeah. Um, how does that change the way uh, we study the word, how we study the world? How does that change it? Yeah. Well, firstly, we recognize that God is the source of all wisdom, of all truth, that um, wisdom is from God. Read Proverbs 2 that um, wisdom is given to us from God. And um, he's the source of all truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that um, in him is truth. And um, and so as we uh, study his word, as we study him, as we study the world, um, we can recognize that he, since he knows all things and his knowledge is perfect and unlimited, um, then therefore we can um, do, do so joyfully. You know, one of the big gripes we have is people often think that um, study or talking about theology is like, you know, just religious, right? We get put in the religious category because, you know, all you care, all you care about is the Bible, right? Well, okay, sure. And, there, you know, there's a ditch on both sides of this discussion, but um, we want to be people that seek to know God, as we've said at the top of this podcast every time, so that we might love and enjoy him. And, um, and so knowledge of God is us ultimately reflecting his omniscience. Um, it's sure God, God, God's knowledge is perfect and ours is imperfect, yet we study his word so that we might enjoy him and reflect his perfected knowledge. And I think here, sorry, jump in again, is that, um, you know, one of the big uh, causes of the fall in the garden is that Adam and Eve forgot that they were created to receive truth and not create it. 
See, if God is the, um, the source of all knowledge and all wisdom, because he is omniscient, then uh, we recognize that we are not. And so in doing so, we receive truth. We don't create it. We don't put ourselves in the place of God, but we leave him there and we trust him in every area and space of life. Yeah. That also means that you don't need to be worried about good academic studies for example, within science and things like that, there's never ever going to be a study that is going to disprove God. And mm. like even in archaeology, like people have um, have found things recently that have proven all the more the truth of, of Scripture. So I think sometimes there's been this divide between the academic scholarly world, mm. uh, secular world, mm. and and the um, Christians. But the truth is that they can go hand in hand. And in fact, science, all the good, strong early scientists were solid Christians. Yeah. Like Newton, they, they, they understood that the foundations of what we look at, whether it's um, the, the rules that require, you know, we know that there's always going to be a boiling point of water. We know all these things because there is a design and there is something that has been put in place by God. And this is all part of his omniscience. He's, he's put these things in place because he is all knowing. Um, this also um, then changes the way that we study the word because mm. it means that we can make it an objective truth and we can dive down deep into the truth of it. It gives us a, an, a standard underlying going, well, actually God is the source of this truth and truth in general and wisdom in general, as Proverbs mm. says. Um, and, um, and so therefore we can, we can really, we can really dive into it and we're not going to find something in there that is going to make you lose your faith. That, I mean, it sounds like we've got so many gripes. We do. Um, is that, that really frustrates me when people ask, go, Oh, don't go too deep because you never know what you're going to find. Well, <laughs> No, if, if, you, if God is the center of your study, and yeah. as we're talking about here, he's the worshipped center of what we are doing here, then we have no concern as if we are doing this in a way that is wanting to, to seek and to honor him. So I encourage you, mm. dive deep into his word. Mm. Enjoy yeah. it. Lap, lap it up <laughs> because um, this is the God um, the God that we've created has made it this way so that we can know him. And that's the, yeah. the big clutch. If you mm. make your scholarly study about puffing yourself up and increasing your brain knowledge, then you've missed it. Mm. But if you make it about knowing him, then um, the world is your oyster. Yeah. And not just scholarly study, just like general devotional reading of God's word. Like if we're exactly. reading God's word from the position of me knowing more than the person next to me, then we have totally missed the point, right? <laughs> but if we're seeking every day to simply know and love God from our fickle, humble position um, as lowly human beings that, um, that have been invited into his presence, then you know that is a platform from which we can honor and love him with our study, with our reading of scripture. That's, that's God exalting. And I, exactly right. And I just want to just touch before we close um, is that um, within our study, 
always remind ourselves, reminding ourselves of God's transcendence. Hmm. And that means that there are things that we are not going to fully be able to understand. And hmm. so if scripture doesn't go there, whenever I like, I um, have had Bible studies with people um, and we can sometimes raise questions that are outside of scripture. Like why did God do this? Or why does God allow this? Or how does this work? Well, scripture doesn't say. And so that is where God doesn't want us to know about it at this point in time. This is all God has revealed. He's transcendent. So allow him to be a mystery. Now, if you think about it, I don't even know everything about myself. I don't know the everything about my wife or my kids, right? Mm. Well, in the same way, we are not going to be able to fully understand God. He's transcendent. He's mysterious. Mm. And that is a really, actually, that should be a comforting thing to us because we don't want him to be like us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been fun, Luke. Always is. Always is. We will uh, speak to you again next week. We pray um, that you be blessed this week and that God would use you to be a blessing. Um, Have a wonderful time. See you, mate. Peace.